Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and I'm back in China. Yeah, it's great to be back. I just spent six weeks traveling in the States for the first three weeks in Florida, where my sister lives, and then in the Philadelphia area for the remaining three weeks, staying with my folks and uh, visiting old friends. Went to a couple weddings, my sisters and my good friend, Jeff, and we had a great time. But I will say, man, it is an interesting thing to compare uh, the cultures, especially, you know, with the right in the middle of my trip, there was, you know, a lot of news about the trade war and all of that, which, um, you know, I'm not going to comment too much about because this isn't a political show. But I will say that it was very interesting to compare how I am sort of generally treated in both countries. And, you know, there's some things that are just sort of natural. Uh, you can tell that somebody is a foreigner very quickly uh, just by looking at them in China, whereas in in the States, you could be looking at somebody and have no idea that they're a foreigner or if they're a you know native to the United States because there are so many second, third, and fourth generation immigrants. So you know you see the average person, you don't assume that they're a foreigner. So that's kind of an interesting thing. You get a level of anonymity back when you go back to the States. There's a little bit less of that here. Now, it's not that uh, Chinese people are uh, necessarily all that judgmental towards foreigners. I would say especially Chengdu people are not much at all, but they still know you are. And so there's a little bit less uh, anonymity there. For example, I'm I'm six foot one and, um, you know, I do a lot of athletics and sports and stuff like that. So I get a fair bit of, you know, eyes turning towards me when I'm outside running or whatever, because it's just something they're not used to seeing, right? I'm taller than most people and, you know, kind of a little... Um, you know, they, I take sports quite seriously, so sometimes I'm a little bit intense. And uh, Chinese people are very active, but they tend to – the more common trope is to see people doing, like, sort of low-impact exercise. So, you know, they'll always go for a walk after dinner, but, uh, you know, you won't see as many people who are super, you know, into the gym or whatever. It's not to say they don't exist, but there's not as many of them. And, uh, you know, I'm back here. I have that anonymity that's kind of – that I got – I got to experience again in the States and, you know, came back here and was like, oh, yeah, I, I get a little bit more attention just walking around. But, you know, that's fine because people aren't rude or anything. If anything, they're they're happy to see me, especially kids. Kids are always like, whoa, what's up, foreigner? And uh, so that's kind of cool. But, um, you know, the other thing that's kind of interesting is that when you're in the States, I have found – and this is a subjective experience, and of course, it's uh, it kind of makes sense because it's your own sort of countrymen. They're the same people who come from your own culture. But there's a bit of a sense that people have a right to judge the way you live your life a little bit. Very slight. It's very subtle. But it's the kind of thing like you know where people will ask things like, "Oh, okay. Well, so so what's your plan then? So are you just gonna you know stay in China all this time?" And there's sort of like this skepticism in it that's sort of like. What are you doing with your life over there? Which is funny because when I'm over here and I tell a Chinese person, hey, yeah, I run a Mandarin training program with my business partner and we have an online course and it's a great little community. And then I'm also a jazz drummer on the side and I do that for part-time work and it's great. They're, they're almost always just like, wow, sick, great, glad to hear it. And so, you know, they're never very judgmental and they're always like, oh, thanks for, you know, promoting our language. That's really cool. And I just think it's an interesting sort of experience because different personality types will react to that type of uh, treatment differently. So I'm the type of person who's quite self-motivated, and so is Luke. I can, you know, we just 
we are so motivated to make Mandarin Blueprint this uh, incredibly effective course to get people to learn Mandarin quickly that we wake up each day and it's not hard for us to find the motivation. I mean, every now and then, I think I was a little bit jet lagged the other day and had trouble kind of getting the motivation, but that's not too, um, of course you have those types of days. Most days though, we're very self-motivated. So therefore we don't really need that external judgment to get, you know, give us a little kick in the butt. Right. And so for me, whenever I get it, I'm always just like, Oh, like, can you not do that please? <laughs> and so when I come back here, I feel much more like, ah, no judgment. It's a judgment-free zone. Wonderful. It's like Planet Fitness, <laughs> which is a story for another time. I went to a Planet Fitness, and uh, well, I'll I'll talk about that maybe in another podcast. But <laughs> so it was a great experience going back to the states, though, and I had a really interesting conversation with my DD driver a couple of nights ago because, um, and this is relevant to the states because recently, and I'm sure that this is going to date the podcast a little bit, but recently. Uh, there have been a few sort of upticks in the uh, American-Chinese trade war, uh, just some more tariffs being uh, slapped on to Chinese goods from the Trump administration. And, you know, it's an interesting thing because when I was back in the States, I would ask people, like, do you think this is a good idea? And I read some articles about who thinks it's a good idea. And, you know, most people, you know, on both sides of the political spectrum were like, yeah, we're not a big fan of tariffs. Don't really like that. Seems to affect, you know, people – negatively but you know i suppose there are some people who look at it as kind of a negotiating tactic or whatever but i said to this driver you know he asked where i was from which is a fairly standard question i said i'm from america and you know i kind of felt like i wanted to just see what he thought of the trade war and i was like hey so um what do you think of this trade war i'm not personally a big supporter of uh the american side's approach to this but what do you think and he kind of he said something that I thought was just so classically Chinese. And what he said was he was like, well, you know, we owe a lot to America. And uh, if it weren't for America, then our former president, Deng Xiaoping, wouldn't have known how to fix our economy and, you know, get us to where we are today. So, you know, even though I don't agree with this particular approach, I, uh, you know, we, we always have a lot to, to owe to America. And I thought, man, this is something we need to learn from the Chinese in the West. It's just a gratitude. There's like a level of gratitude that I see here. And I mean, that was unsolicited, right? This is what the guy said. He just said, well, we owe a lot to America. And just the fact that he's looking at it like that uh, is something to me that says, okay, there's a part of your culture that is that what the Chinese would call heavily sort of like takes seriously, looks upon something in a zhong type of way. Like it's, zhong means heavy or important. So it's like, and then shi is a way of saying to see. So like to importantly see. So they very zhong shi, gratitude. And um, that's something that I just am so glad to be around. Whenever I'm around that, I feel very excited. I feel very hopeful because gratitude is something that really helps to kind of, um, you know, get through the tough times in life. Because if you're, you know, there's plenty of things to criticize about the world. But if you can also mix that with a bit of gratitude as well for the things that are going well, because, hey, a lot of things are going well, too, then that could be the proper kind of yin-yang, the sort of um, Taoist symbol of chaos and order. That's the good balance between those two. So I'll make sure that we have that zhong uh, shi in the show notes here. And so... Let's talk a little bit about a couple of things that are going on with the course. So 
one thing we've been talking about a few times over the past few weeks is that there are, are a bit too many mistakes in the Mandarin Blueprint method regarding translation mistakes or a few spots in the sentences where there are top-down words that have been either missing or there are extra top-down words. And just as a reminder, a top-down word is a word that you haven't yet learned but is nonetheless showing up in a sentence. And there are a couple of reasons for why this happened in the first place. Um, actually, there's several reasons, but it really doesn't matter what the reasons are. But as a result, we've gotten a few complaints, and so I wanted to uh, talk about one of the complaints and then explain to you what we're doing to help fix this stuff, because we are definitely listening, uh, that's for sure. So here from the Mandarin Blueprint forum, the Mandarin Blueprint community, so if you have any of the Mandarin Blueprint products, including the free products, you're allowed to get access to the Mandarin Blueprint community. And uh, John Newton, uh, when talking about these uh, various mistakes, he made a, a comment, because there was a bit of a back and forth between he and some of the other uh, folks in the course. And he said, I agree that it's a good course overall. I'm definitely learning stuff. It's just when I see sentences like this, I wonder if it's correct or I just don't understand the grammar yet. I expect the odd mistake, but I've seen quite a lot, which I would expect to have been fixed in the beta phase, free content while members help fix errors. Now the course is costing $30 a month, so it's not cheap. Even discounted to $15 a month, it's still more than Netflix and Amazon, for example. If I was charging $30 a month for a course, I would get it professionally proofread first. Well, first of all, John, yeah, you're right. I mean, we had to get um, the course shipped because we had been talking about it for a while, and we've been saying, all right, we're almost ready, we're almost ready. And it's such a huge course that we had to kind of accept, okay, there's probably some imperfections here, but these people have been waiting. There's a lot of people who want to get started on this, and so we're going to release it. Now, and then, of course, once you release it, you have a million administrative things that you have to do. But uh, you're right. And so what we're doing to help fix this is to um, go – we have a professional – translator because you know we, it's interesting translation is not the same as knowing the language so we, we hired a professional translator to go through and check all the translations and um you know translation in and of itself is not something that i think we should focus on too much anybody should focus on too much because it's not the point it's kind of just something that is a supplement so bear that in mind to begin with but we're going to have him go through and Make sure that everything's correct. And then anytime he makes a change, we're going to be notified about it, and we're going to eventually go through and fix it all. Now, we're going to fix it all in one go uh, because we need to make sure that all of it is shared across not only the course platform but also the Anki decks. So we're going to do a big uh, upgrade of everything, including the Anki decks, but we kind of need to do it all at once. Now, after that's done, we're going to – I've put together a Chinese text analyzer uh, – set of rules that cover every single level of the course. Now, Chinese Text Analyzer is a an application, it's a free application, where you can paste a piece of text in Chinese. And it, depending on the filter you put on it, it will tell you what words are known or unknown. And so if we apply, like, say, the level 17 filter, and then we place all of the uh, sentences into that level 17 filter, um, we'll be able to see, okay, are there any top-down words that we didn't label. And if there are, then we'll make sure we label them. And in some cases, we'll actually move them around. Um, in Actually, Eric Brown had a comment about that earlier where he said there was a sentence uh, that I'll talk about later. There was a sentence that had too many top-down words in it. And that did occasionally happen. And so when that happens, we'll move it to a part of the course where it's more appropriate. And so 
we're working on that. It's in process, and it won't be too long. It's just a matter of, you know, there's many sentences. There's over 7,000 sentences throughout the course, so it's going to take a little bit of time, but we will get through it, and we will fix it all up, and then there will be no more mistakes, or at least very, very few. Okay, so that was the first thing I wanted to address about where we're going with the course, and then also... We have been, well, I've been working on the course expansion, and we're going to be looking at how to expand the course in such a way that you get what you need um, as quickly as possible, but also, you know, we do need to plan out a bit further in the future before we, re we release anything. So what we're going to do first is get the order sorted, figure out what words are going to be unlocked and in what order. And then we're going to probably release level by level, but it will just be characters with character flashcards and um, also word lists for now. And then once we've gotten a team together to create content, we'll start getting written content going out. Because past level 36, what we want to be able to do is change a little bit the way that you're learning your words and, um, and learning your individual sentences. And the reason why we're changing that is because you're past the point where you need to have necessarily an individual sentence flashcard for everything or an individual vocabulary flashcard. You want to get the words in context, in comprehensible input at that 98% extensive reading rate, or at least, you know, if it's below 98%, you have very clear top-down words. You want to make sure that that is uh, the way that you're acquiring this vocabulary because the broader the context, the more pieces of connection you have to the new word. If you just have one sentence, well, that's some context. It's the context of a sentence. But if you have a story and then you see that word in the context of the story, it's hard to describe just how much more context that is because you've already built up a scenario in your mind. Like you're reading a story about a guy who decided I'm going to go to the baker today. And then as he was going to the baker, he dropped his keys and a, and a cat picked them up and ran away and you know, whatever you've got, you're building up this whole thing in your mind about what's happening. And then when the word shows up, it's like your brain goes, Oh, look at all these connections we have to this word now. And so it's very important to us that you get longer form uh, context for the later vocabulary, but we don't want to make you wait for us to finish writing that before you can start learning the characters. So as soon as the characters and the words are ready, we'll start releasing new levels, um, and then it'll just be characters and words for a bit, and then we'll get the team together to start writing new content, and we'll just make announcements in the course when new content is available. So that's some course expansion updates. Now, Here's another one that Chad sent in that I thought was kind of fun and we could maybe talk about because it's sort of an interesting uh, debate about how you should start learning Mandarin. And so this comes from Twitter. There's actually a, a Twitter account named TroubadourWW, at TroubadourWW, and they say in this tweet, it's a tweet, a Mandarin learner should develop some good basic ability with Mandarin speech before seriously trying to learn characters. Otherwise, it would be like trying to build a house without having laid the foundation yet. Pinyin is an excellent aid for learning Mandarin speech. And then Learn Chinese Channel replied and said, I cannot agree more with you. Nowadays, many apps and quote-unquote teachers preach newcomers that Chinese should be learned with characters from day one. No wonder so many people give up so quickly. You're very right in comparing pinyin 
with a house foundation. First step first. So I had a reaction to these two tweets that I thought was, you know, kind of, it's, a, it's not that I disagree with them. I actually do agree that you need to learn pinyin very early because it's so essential to understand how to articulate the sounds in Mandarin Chinese so that you can hear better, so that you can practice these sounds that are quite difficult for your tongue and your uh, mouth to create, you know, things like a ch or chu, things like that. And so it's obviously important to learn that stuff, and that's why we made pronunciation mastery, and we say that's the first step in learning Mandarin. However, I think it's a little bit misleading to act as if characters are not the foundation of the language. Pinyin is the romanization of the syllables of the language, and there's only about 409 to 420 syllables, so it's not a Herculean task to learn the principles about how pinyin works. However, to suggest that you can't start learning characters in the very early days of your Mandarin study, I think is misleading because you absolutely can. So let's take a, one of the things that uh, Troubadour said here was that otherwise it would be like trying to build a house without having laid the foundation yet. Well, do you need a foundation to understand a horizontal line? Because that's the first character you could learn, E which means number one. It's simply a horizontal line. Two and three are two horizontal lines and three horizontal lines, respectively. If you add in a vertical line, you get to shi, which is the number 10, and you just have a horizontal line, a vertical line, and a cross. Add a, vertical, uh, add a horizontal line on top, you get gan, which is now the character for dry. Just briefly, like the, I just explained that to you, and you've got five characters right off the bat. And so... Yes, you want to understand how pinyin works so that when I say gan, you're not confused. And so that's perfectly reasonable. But the idea that uh, the foundation of Chinese is speech as opposed to the characters, I think, is misleading. Because the characters are exactly what makes learning Chinese easy, especially because since there are only 420 syllables approximately, that means there are way too many homophones. If you don't learn the characters, it becomes very, very difficult to distinguish between different similar sounding words. Whereas if you do learn the characters, they're visually nothing alike. So, and of course it's the most fascinating part of the language. So why would you wait to get into the most fascinating part of the language? So as much as I uh, sort of understand this sort of sentiment, and of course there's the meta thing that they're trying to say, which is what uh, learn, Chinese channel said, which is that no wonder so many people quit so fast, uh, is that if you try to learn characters too early, then you're going to freak out at the overwhelming nature of how big the system is. And maybe if you get into some speech and some pinyin, you'll feel invested enough that you'll be more willing to take on that task. And I get that. But uh, of course, they're probably thinking of learning characters in the more traditional sense. The Mandarin Blueprint method for learning characters, of course, we use ACLO, which is the optimized character learning order. So everything relates to what you previously learned. And then we also use the Hanzi movie method, which is the most effective, systemized, integrated mnemonic system for learning Chinese characters ever developed in the history of Chinese learning. So thus far, as of 2019. So I hope that makes it clear why I think that you can learn characters at the same time as you're learning pronunciation and uh I would highly recommend that you don't, you know, think that you can't start learning characters until you've learned uh, a lot of pinyin. I mean, you know, certainly you need to learn pinyin, and it's never going to be something that you can totally avoid, but it definitely doesn't need to be something that you you completely finish before you can start anything else. Uh, so I'll leave that there. Okay, cool. Now, let's see here. Next, we're going to get into 
some of the many questions that came in this week, and there's a lot of good stuff. So we're going to start, as usual, with props. And props, there's a link below explaining what we mean by props, but short answer is that a prop is the object representation of a character component. So you see a character component, that is a piece of writing on a page, and evolution did not teach us, <laughs> we did not adapt through natural selection to be able to quickly recognize words on a page. We can, uh, let's, put it, let's put it another way. When it comes to memory, memorizing scribbles on a page is harder than memorizing a physical object that you imagine seeing. It just has to do with the adaptation of our visual cortex. It's much better at 3D objects than it is 2D scribbles on a page. That doesn't, obviously we can read, but it's not, it's about memorization, right? So you choose an object to represent that particular Chinese scribble. And that makes it much easier to remember. And we call them props because you're going to interact with it in a scene. You're going to have a prop, an actor, and a set and make them interact to create the meaning of the character. So here are some suggestions for props that came in this week. Loads of them. It's awesome. So John Hay for the uh, prop for shui, which means water. He says, how about a nice big sponge, saturated and dripping? You can have a lot of fun integrating it into your movie scenes. Absolutely. You know, there maybe there was another time you were going to use a sponge for something else, but certainly a sponge will soak in water, and that's a perfectly good uh, representation of water. And he's thinking in the right way in the sense he's saying this could be a fun prop to use as opposed to maybe what we suggest is a bottle of water or a hose or something like that. You know, they all have their potential, but a big dripping wet sponge could be fun. And you can imagine like the sponge hits you in the face and you're just like, oh, you're gross. All right. So next we have Ija. Pick a prop for Le, a mountaineer's ice axe. It looks like this. Okay, cool. So that is, um, oh, it looks like this. So she she actually linked to, um, this. So the link is in the show notes. Yeah, this is the classic sort of ice climber's axe. And I can see how that even looks a little bit like look. So she chose the prop based on the um, she chose the prop based on how the character looks, which is what we recommended to begin with. Awesome, perfect. All right, next we have uh, pick a prop for this is what we call the glass cover suggestion. It kind of is. It looks like a, a little square with the bottom of the square uh, left off. Okay. So we have William Edmedes. He says, adapting onto this glass cover suggestion, I'm going with the classic glass museum exhibit housing their precious gem, just like in the movies, a glass container on a pedestal. Perfect. So we suggested a glass cover, and he's just taken it one step further in the link to a more powerful connection to something that you know he knows from seeing in movies and seeing in actual museums. Great, perfect. It just that's the type of thing you can so easily do, but make your prop all the more memorable. Excellent. Next we have William again on the pick a prop for Wang, which means king. And he said, I went with the king from the game Tekken. I've heard of this game. Uh, as his leopard mask is quite memorable. Perfect. Tekken, I never played it, but I've heard of it. And so if there was a leopard masked king in it, that's the perfect type of thing to have. For the pick a prop for Zhu, which is uh means master but it also kind of looks like a candlestick so you know it depends on which one you want to go with he says i'm going with the armor king also from the game tekken as he was the king's tutor and master a nice coincidence perfect yeah exactly when you have those coincidences that come up where it's like oh these two props relate excellent why not it's 
another link that solidifies. It's like, again, I always think of it as like these neurons are firing when you're thinking of this and it goes, okay, I'm thinking of that king from Tekken. Oh, here's the next one, master. Oh wait, there was a master that connected there and there's this other link that forms. That's actual energy moving between neurons and that, that energy kind of welds connection, it welds pathways because electricity has heat. And so it's, it's so cool to imagine it that way happening in your mind. Next, we have the pick a prop for in, which means cause or reason. He says, going with the butterfly because of the butterfly effect, cause and effect on a grand scale. Perfect. So that's an example of taking something super abstract like reason or uh, cause. And you're like, oh, what do I do with cause? That's an abstract concept. Well, the butterfly effect is a cause and effect on a, on a grand scale. And that's a perfectly clear connection to a 3D object, a butterfly. So excellent stuff. Next, we have Julian Laffey on the pick a prop for Ting, which means uh, pavilion. And he says, what is a rotating pavilion? Well, I always thought of these as kind of a gazebo. Uh, I don't know if that's a word. I know Julian's Australian. Uh, I don't know if that's a word you use in Australia. Gazebo is sort of a you know, it's just that some people have them in their backyards or parks will have them and you can kind of, you know, see them cover, you can cover from the rain, you can sit down on them, there's benches and whatever. Oftentimes they're in a place that has some decent, uh, a decent view. Um, but uh, there's not necessarily a set definition for that, but that's generally what you're talking about. You could change it into a rotating one or you could change it to a an observation deck of some sort, but either way, that's kind of what we're going for there. And, and this character almost looks like one a little bit. So there's something to be said uh, from that point. Will Henry on the pick a prop for, which is the uh, character for this. That's a bit more formal though. You'll usually say uh, in more formal settings, whether it's an, a, an event or whatever. And uh, he chose Morgan Freeman. And I think the reason he chose that was because in our pick a prop lesson, we recommend uh, that, you know, in a formal setting, like an event or whatever, you might have some kind of uh, moment that's meant to, tr that's meant to tra attract everyone's attention to this. So, for example, it could be a fashion model walking down the catwalk, or it could be a highly skilled speaker of some sort who, you know, says, okay, ladies and gentlemen, we will now be whatever. And um, that attracts their attention to whatever the main focus is. And of course, when we said that, I'm sure that he thought, oh, a highly skilled speaker, Morgan Freeman. And of course, that's very true. He's got to be the best narrator uh, of all time. William on the pick a prop for Tsin, uh, which is sort of the left side component of metal or gold. And he says the golden ticket from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is another good choice. Perhaps even a gold medal, or it could even be King Midas, because everything he touched turned to gold. Or Smaug from the movie The Hobbit. Excuse me, the book, The Hobbit. Those movies uh, don't count as real, as far as I'm concerned, because they were a travesty. Um, but uh, yeah, this is, Smaug, of course, was uh, in the mountains with loads of gold in his lair. Classic uh, dragon trope um, there. Now, these are all great. Excellent. I mean, if it's going to be gold or metal, why not pick something that is sort of associated with gold or metal, like the golden ticket? I mean, there's so much feeling around the golden ticket and there's a lot of feeling around the idea of king midas everything he touched turns to gold and like what does that create as opposed to just like there's a bar of gold i mean the bar of gold will work but you know it's kind of sometimes if you come up with the lips something a little bit stronger it'll be make your scenes all the better next pick a prop for tian which means sky going with a satellite dish as sky uh going with a satellite dish as sky is a broadcasting company here in new zealand love it 
perfect, <laughs> easy, right? Yeah, this is great stuff. These type of connections are always going to be unique. I've never lived in New Zealand, didn't realize there was a, a station called Sky, so there you go. All right, next we have uh, the pick-a-prop for Kai. It looks pretty identical to those arches you see when you enter a Japan, uh, some Japanese temples, so I'm going to go with that. Perfect. Yep, exactly. I've seen those arches many times. I'm sure you can all imagine them, and if you look at this character in the show notes, you'll see what, it, what he means. It's like they got the two sort of uh, horizontal lines at the top, and they'll have a little flare up at the side usually, whereas, whereas these are flat, but that works fine. And, of course, it is an opening to something, which is uh, what the character means. Kai means to open, so... There you go. Next, we have um, the make a movie for one. William makes a comment saying, I kind of like the way the props are put together for this character. It's almost describing the door slash entrance to the nose or nostrils, and it's listening for different smells because the the way this character is constructed is that you have men on the outside, which means door, and on the inside you have r, which means ear. And so, like, it's like, wait, what's up with this? The the door to your ear? But I, I like the way that William's thinking about it. So he's actually using the elements of the character to make some sense of it and make some meaning out of it. So that's kind of cool. One means, of course, to smell, and it's got an ear inside a door. Well, how about that? It's pretty cool, eh? All right, Chad Wrestler on Pick a Prop for Zh. He said, I went with a quill. And, of course, that makes sense because Zh uh, is the measure word for pens. So you could say E. B would mean one pen, and that's, uh, of course, why he might choose a pill. Uh, sorry, a quill. B. I'll make sure that's in this notes. Okay. And um, try to incorporate both the meaning and the shape of the character, plus a quill is unique yet still a pen, so I thought that would help with recall. Sure, absolutely. And, of course, any prop, you can make it outrageous to make it more memorable. Clayton Lee on pick a prop for shun, which means uh, body. And he said, martial arts, body, or training dummy. Absolutely. Totally. And, you know, if you do those martial arts um, training dummy things, you know, of course, you'll have a sensual experience of them as well, more than just visual. So you'll be, you know, kicking it and punching it and whatever. So that'll also help with the tactile memory there. William Edmides on the pick a prop for C, which means west. Uh, Will Henry brilliantly suggested Kanye West as an idea for the prop for C. Perfect, yeah. So that's what I'm going to use. Alternatively, the uh, C, when it's on the top component, will make a great uh, boombox prop. Yes, it, yeah, absolutely. So sometimes C is on the top of a character, most commonly probably in the character Yao, right? And so Yao is uh, with the that little C top component with the woman component on the bottom, right? And so... That, when it's sort of smushed up to the top there, I can see totally how it looks like a boombox. And for particularly for Yao, this isn't what William said, but it's just occurring to me now that <laughs> this is actually perfect. So if it's a boombox, there's that classic trope of the guy holding up the boombox uh, in front of a house and the, the girl comes to the window to listen to him uh, on the boombox. And, of course, it's because he wants her. And so you've got the boombox and the woman for want the character for want hey the connections are just endless isn't it that's awesome okay next we have will henry on a pick a prop for c which means evening or nighttime and he picked an owl and that's pretty self-explanatory an owl of course is uh gonna start hooting at night just around that uh nighttime evening you know sort of um sun sunset 
All right. So there we have our prop suggestions for the week. Next, we're going to move on to some mnemonic scenes. So here we're going to talk about full scenes to remember characters. So the first character we're going to learn here is Gui. And Gui means expensive. It's made up of the props. Um, well, it could be a Chinese flag, which is what um, uh, Ija used here, uh, a razor blade, and seashells. So the reason why she picked a Chinese flag is because the top component is Zhong, which means... Uh, you know, the, the center, and of course the name for China is Zhongguo, which is the Middle Kingdom. So she chose the Chinese flag to represent that. Below that is a razor blade, and then the bottom is the seashells. So those are the three props to remember the character for uh, expensive, and it's pronounced gui. So that means that you're going to have gu and a, and fourth tone is in the bathroom. So gu will be a fictional character. A for Ija, that is her home away in another state so i guess that means uh, maybe a place that she feels like she's home away from home and uh the the connection in the sound is away a right and then she has grew from despicable me who's a uh, fictional character so we've got all our elements together grew represents gu her home away from home represents ei she's going to be in either the bathroom or the backyard because it's fourth tone and then we have the chinese flag the razor blade and the seashells we got to get some idea across to create expensive now she says um for backstory refer to chad's bing scene and we'll maybe have to go to that but let's see if we can understand uh, a little bit more. Gru has fallen on hard times and was listening to the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. He was intrigued to hear that Fan Bingbing and her own H had her own HGTV show to sell made-up Chinese antiques, but failed to pawn them off. <laughs> that must have been Chad's scene from last week. Okay. He knew that he could do better. He picked up seashell seashells from the backyard of my away home and used razor blades to engrave Chinese characters on the shells. He then wrapped those shells in a Chinese flag, described it as authentic, collectible, antique shell currency from China, and tried to sell them on eBay for $1,000. Expensive! He had multiple bids and managed to sell them off for $10,000, only to be asked for a refund via PayPal much later after the buyer realized the characters in the shells were all wrong. He hadn't been doing his Anki. Each <laughs> uh, is having a great time with this method. I'm so glad to see that. So excellent. Perfect story. No, com nothing to say about that other than just she's really getting into that. Uh, she's really getting into the method, and that's, that's what you want. Next, on the Make a Movie for When, which is also where William uh, left a comment, Ija left a comment that she said, I imagined it being close to the idiom smelling a rat or smelling something fishy, and my uh, WU character putting its ear to the neighbor's door to eavesdrop. So that's kind of a good association. That's what we'll call the keyword connection, right? So you're seeing, okay, this character means to smell. Well, what does that make you think of? Smell, smell a rat, right? Like that's just a little quick word association or uh, smelling something fishy, something fishy's going on. So now because one means to smell, but it's got that ear component in there, she's like, all right, well, I'll use the ear to listen at the door. And that's part of, and of course the door is the component as well. So that's the type of keyword connection you want to make. Next, we have the make a movie for Holt, which means thick. The actor is Hugh Jackman, and the set is the Alfred for Ija, which is outside the country with a great outdoor park, and OU and Ho, and the OU and outdoor and outside. The props are a factory, 
which is the outer component, the sun, and Haley Joel Osment, because Haley Joel Osment is a very famous child actor. I was just watching Forrest Gump the other day, and he was briefly in the end of that movie. Um, and so because he's a famous child actor, uh, he and the component means child, he's a good representation there. All right, so here's the scene. Imagine vividly as you can. Hugh Jackman was back in Melbourne for a holiday when he was passing by the Alfred. He was surprised that the backyard parking had been converted into a cheese toasty factory. But the factory looked a bit dark and dingy, so he took the sun prop and used it to light up the area a bit. Surprise, surprise, the factory employed child labor, and he caught a glimpse of Haley Joel Osment supervising other kids. <laughs> Fantastic. He just got a really active imagination. But as he was devouring his delicious cheese toasties, made using thick pieces of toast with generous amounts of cheese, rich in flavor, he decided to just be grateful. <laughs> Perfect. So that's the exact thing you want to get with that type of scene. And also really visualize how thick those toast pieces are and how thick the cheese is. It's even thick in your mouth. You can barely swallow. It's so thick. Right? That's perfect. And that's exactly what you want. Excellent scene. Everything's in there. Perfect. All right. Next, we have William on the make a movie for Hui, which is the character for Return. He's got the Hulk. That's the representation of H.U. in the kitchen of his E.I. set. And he has the following props, the Rolling Stone's mouth and a pig pen. So Hui is actually just two squares, a square within a square. And the bigger square, we call that like a pen, you know, sort of a pig pen. And the smaller square, because it actually means mouth, we make that the Rolling Stone's mouth from the cover of that, um, you know, sort of that iconic uh, album cover. All right, so the Rolling Stone's mouth is floating around in the kitchen when the Hulk walks in wearing a black leather jacket and dark sunglasses like Arnie from the movie Terminator. Perfect. Seeing the mouth is not what is not where it should be. The Hulk says in a cool voice, I'll be back. He promptly returns with a pig pen and places it around the floating mouth. Love it. Nothing wrong with that story. Perfect. Props are used. They're used the way they should be. Um, the association with I'll be back is exactly – that's a cultural trope that is so clear for everyone who's – had any exposure to Terminator and you know even people who haven't seen Terminator probably have at least heard that idea of I'll be back from Arnold Schwarzenegger all right perfect next um oh and, and William expands upon this in the next one he says I couldn't decide whether to go with the movie scene with themes from Superman Returns the Terminator or even the Hobbit because Gandalf returns and they need him the most but he eventually decided on the Terminator because um you know, it's it's the most iconic one to him. But it, yes, sure, absolutely. People later in the course can see that uh, Superman Returns or even The Hobbit could be a better association for them. Perfect. Next, Ija on the make a movie for Yuan, which means uh, far away, distant. So it's Yoda, uh, which is probably what she, she – oh, yeah. So it looks like her all of her actors for the U sounds are from star wars episode one so for she went with yoda good choice the set is her uh anatomy lab because we have a n so anatomy and then the props are anakin skywalker and the red carpet okay nice so yoda entered the learning suite of my anatomy lab inviting anakin skywalker to join the force in a galaxy far far away <laughs> both of them then proceeded to walk on the red carpet towards Yoda's starfighter. 
I mean, yeah. The only thing I might say is maybe the Starfighter might be confusing. So it's like, but probably not because you're they're probably going to get in the Starfighter and go warp speed to far, far away. So uh, seems to me to be perfectly fine. You got Yoda, you got Anakin, you got the red carpet. They're all interacting together. And of course, in a galaxy far, far away. What I love these cultural tropes. Everybody's getting the cultural trope thing going. It's perfect. All right. Next, make a movie for one, which means uh, to you know play. And she's taken the, the <laughs> she's taken the inspiration from Star Wars Episode Two now. Well, man, she must have actually liked these movies, or at least remembered them. They're quite memorable, despite mm, their score on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, actor Wally, because of uh, one is the W U, so she has a fictional character there, Wally. The set is her anatomy lab again. And she's got uh, Anakin Skywalker and a king's crown this time. Anakin escaped his tedious Jedi training play uh, training class to play Beat Saber with Wally at the lobby of my anatomy lab. Right, so the lobby, because second tone. He won because Wally was pretty stiff and crowned himself literally with a crown as the Beat Saber King. I guess Beat Saber's a game. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously the uh, lightsaber's a uh, an association with Star Wars, but uh, maybe Beat Saber is an actual game. But either way, th it's a very simple scene, but it gets everything across. You got all the props. You got the actor. You're in the right location. So, boom, there you are. <laughs> oh, my gosh, she did everything. She's doing all the Star Wars episodes, or at least one through four. Wow. Okay, so next we've got to make a movie for um, Yuan, like Gong Yuan, which is uh, sort of um, – a park or a place of, uh, like, you'll have a, a zoo. So, sort of, yeah, it's sort of a place that is enclosed and keeps something in it, whether it's the, the gong yuan is the public enclosed place, which we'll call a park, or the dong wu yuan is the animal enclosed spot, which would be the, uh, the zoo. So, that's kind of what that means. Now, she's taking her, her, uh, <laughs> Her inspiration from Star Wars Episode Three here. The actor is Yoda. The set is her, um, anatomy lab and then the anakin skywalker in an animal pen this time so yoda was furious upon learning that anakin skipped his jedi training and locked him inside an animal pen in the lobby of his anatomy lab anakin felt like he's an animal in the zoo Dong Wu Yuan, uh, but chose to be positive and started planting flowers around him so <laughs> it's like <laughs> i love where her um her thinking is going with this because, of course, she's just making the connections that is unnecessary to make between the different Star Wars episodes. And, of course, uh, that like sort of the, the premise of the scene. Oh, he didn't show up for uh, the Jedi training. Well, that is based it's, – it's sort of a premise pulled out of nowhere, but it makes sense because it's based on the relationship – well, the potential relationship between Yoda and Anakin. Next, we have from this one coming from Star Wars Episode Four for – one, which means finish. And these are all with that Anakin Skywalker prop that she went with, uh, which is the bottom prop in this character. It was the uh, middle prop in the um, previous one, and then it was the right side prop uh, in, the in the two before that. All right, so next we have this character means to finish. So it's Wally again. It's in the anatomy lab, and it's Anakin Skywalker with a roofed, roof-shaped hat, which is the top component. There were enough flowers around uh, Anakin's pen that he managed to escape without being noticed, like in Shawshank. <laughs> nice. Knowing that his career as a Jedi trainee is now 
trainee is now finished, he joined Wally as a galactic trash collector, wearing a roof-shaped hat as a form of disguise. And also, as a if he's going to be a uh, galactic trash collector, collector he's going to need a hard, hard hat, and that's what the uh, the roof hat can ha- serve as a second purpose. So, great. So, this is an example where Ija saw four related characters. Yuan, Wan, Yuan, and one, <laughs> and she said, "Okay, we're gonna have Wally, and we're gonna have Yoda, we're gonna have Anakin Skywalker, and all of these, and four different other props. Let's see if I can make a relationship between all four of them." And I, she's probably never gonna forget any of these. That's way above and beyond. You don't need to do that, but geez, that's great, fantastic. All right, next, one more from uh, Ija here, which is uh, on the make a movie for Kong or Kong, depending on which meaning it is. But it's uh, I think we went with Kong, which means empty space. So the actor is Keanu Reeves. Awesome. The entrance of her ONG ward, which is uh, ONG. I mean, like it kind of almost sounds like you're saying ONG. Ong. So we have that. And it's the entrance. So it's Kong. And the two components are, the, sorry, the components are a construction worker with a yellow hat and a black hole, which is the top component. Perfect. <laughs> I love that there's a black hole here. All right. So Keanu Reeves was not too happy about the condition of the entrance of the ward. There were just too, there was just too much stuff lying around. He remembered watching Marie Kondo on Netflix and started tidying up the area by using the Kong Marie method. All right. That is a reference that Ija knows. I do not, but <laughs> that's cool. With the help of the construction worker, he started decluttering the area. (laughs) Unfortunately, nothing sparked joy for Keanu, and he threw away all the items into a black hole on the floor nearby. The place is now empty, which is, of course, the meaning of the character. So perfect. And, of course, there's the contrast because it's not empty at first, and there's, you know, the construction worker serves a purpose because they're originally trying to, you know, tidy things up and, you know, maybe make some changes. But then, in the end, the black hole ends up making everything empty. Perfect scene. Can't complain. All right. Final make a movie. William says, I've got Stephen Hawking on the football field of my university with the props Kim Jong-un and a red carpet. So Kim Jong-un is the representation of Guan because that means to close. And North Korea is probably the most closed country in the world. And then you have um, the red carpet as the bottom component or left side bottom component. Me and Steven are having a casual discussion about the wonders of the universe on my university football field when we both start to feel a little peckish. So we decide to order some pizza and get it delivered. Next thing we know, a long red carpet appears at our feet, and we are greeted by none other than Kim Jong-un. He bows and promptly delivers the pizza to us. So perfect. You know, there's so much, there's there's a lot of special effects you could apply there. Um, But uh, this is a great scene. Song means deliver. Um, And by the way, it can also mean to um, uh, give a gift. I mean, sort of deliver a gift. And you will, you also, um, if you want to take someone somewhere, like take them to the airport, you can say, I'll, um, Song is like, I'll take you to the airport. And die would mean to pick you up from the airport. They're kind of opposites in that way. Uh, or anywhere. You know, I can, you could song somebody anywhere in the in the world. And so, um, yeah, that's awesome. Delivery is the way that would work. And, uh, you know, the fact that Kim Jong-un is the delivery guy is hilarious. Next, we have Kim Le on Simple Final U. And so she says, she's just making a few comments about the way we explained things, or mostly Luke explained things in the pronunciation mastery. She says, O sounds like awesome if you're uh, with a British accent. So, oh, awesome, right? And then uh, 
the U sound sounds like new, like the new. I mean, it's a little bit different in English than it is in Chinese, but it's pretty close. And then uh, now, of course, you could type the two dots on top of U for new and lu, but generally speaking, we just go Y-U to write the U by itself. And that, you know, just as long as you know the Y doesn't make a sound, then you're good. And very good, clear teaching. I got it. Thank you. So more than happy to help with that, uh, those types of questions. And of course, as we mentioned before, pronunciation is so key to get down early. Next, William actually found a mistake, but it got me thinking about a couple of things that we could I could explain here. So he said, hey, guys, and this is from the it's a word for uh, 住, which means to live or reside somewhere. And one of the sentences was uh, 你现在住哪儿, which means where do you live now? Uh, the second person says 中国, China. Third person says 你在中国住了多长时间了? Which means how long have you lived in China? And then uh, he says 住了三年了, and that means I've lived here for three years. And so there's a few things to recognize about this. First of all, we accidentally made a mistake and wrote uh, 好长 in the top-down words as opposed to 多长, which means uh, 多长时间 means how long. So 多 is a character that means many or much, but it can be used in um, questions. So if I say, uh, you know, 这个梳子, Yo duo chang yo to have duo chang. What I'm saying is how long is it? It's a way of asking how, but specifying it towards the quantity of the length. So chang means long. So yo duo chang means how much length, basically. Has how much length. And that's an alternative use of duo, which by itself just means many or uh, a lot, right? But if you say, yo duo chang, or uh, there's so, like anything that you want to ask about, yo, you know, fill yo duo gao, fill yo duo gao, would mean like how tall gao is fill, right? That's how that works. And so when you say duo chang shi jian, you're saying how long is the time? And you need to specify time because of course time's a different unit of measurement. If you just say chang by itself, the assumption is you mean length. So if you say 多长时间, you're specifying that I'm saying length of time, right? Now, there's another couple things, though, in the sentences that are kind of cool. 你在中国住了多长时间了。住了多长时间了。And the answer is 住了三年了。Right? Two le's in both of them, which means that you have finished living there while still continuing to live there. So that's what that double l means. And it's kind of a, again, don't worry about it too much with grammar, but it is an interesting observation that you can use l twice. One to say like, hey, you know, I have lived here, so it's completed for three years, but I'm still living there, so let's add in that other l to clarify that it's not over, right? Right? And so that's how that works. And I just wanted to make that point. Also, there was a a question he added, does the dot above the pinyin for chang represent the fifth tone? No, that was just a mistake. Fifth tone is represented with nothing. When you see a fifth tone in pinyin, it's just the pinyin spelling with no tone marker. So the tone marker for first tone is a, a horizontal line. Second tone, the slightly upward um, sort of symbol there. The third tone is that little umlaut u. Uh, no, no, umlaut's two dots. Uh, the uh, sort of down and up symbol. And then fourth tone is that little 
symbol that goes down. Fifth tone is just nothing. If there's nothing, that's what fifth tone is. Okay. Next, we have Garth Grescu. I don't know if that's how you pronounce your last name, Garth, but I'm going to go with Garth Grescu on moving forward the role of a tutor. Luke and Phil are great teachers individually, and even better as a team, yin-yang bros. Well, that's very nice of you to say. I uh, do think that Luke and I have been very lucky. We're very lucky because we are a good partnership, because we don't think the same way, but we have a decent um, you know, way of communicating. And so one of the things that is really interesting about working with a business partner or working with a collaborator of any sort is that the the total of our two minds working together is definitely greater than the sum of its parts. And the reason why is because if I have a plan for something, I might think of an idea and then maybe that triggers another idea or maybe I get stuck. But if I think of an idea and then I communicate that to Luke and then he thinks of an idea as well and that triggers me to have another idea, but there was never that interme intermediary step where Luke had that where he bounced off what I said, then I couldn't have had the next idea and then he couldn't have had the next idea. So you end up having these little thought babies that go through, you know, the sequence of events. And because we have both our brains working on the uh, situation, there's more opportunity for the uh, ultimate project creation to have a great bear greater fruit. So it's kind of cool in that way. All right. Nice. Thanks for that uh, compliment, Garth. Uh, William Edmides on new vocabulary and locked Hui Chu. He said, I completely agree with Sydney. Even though we're all well into reading sentences, it still amazes me and my family too how I can just instinctively know how to pronounce characters and understand sentences. It's absolutely thrilling without a doubt. Well, that's what we wanted. I'm so glad to hear that because, you know, it is, of course, so huge that when you get not too far into our course, you can read sentences without pinyin and you know how to pronounce it. And it's not obviously a phonetic language. So well done, William. You're doing very well. And Sydney, too. Garth Grescu on You Did It, the end of uh, the Pronunciation Mastery course. He says, love how you use media effects and treating intriguing photos, Chinese music and singing, always with a bit of your blend of quirky humor. Well, I certainly am a bit quirky, and that's probably why I was willing to move to China and set up shop here. Uh, it's a it's a really fun uh, thing to do this course, and you know the fact that you get to do all these scenes. I mean, <laughs> you guys are making me laugh all the time when I'm listening to these scenes. Please keep sharing them. It's wonderful. Abigail, a new vocabulary unlocked. Tibai. Okay, so shouldn't it be a top-down word? We've only learned zhi so far. Also, I think it would be helpful. And what she's referring to is um, zhi is the same character with this alternate pronunciation that means uh, it's a it's a measure word for small animals usually. You'll say yi zhi gao or yi zhi mao, which would mean – and uh, it could be actually your individual eyeballs. Yi zhi yan would mean uh, – one eyeball. So like little sort of little things that have some life to them is when you'll use zhi in first tone. And normally it's pronounced zhi, third tone and meaning only. And she says, should it be a top down word? Well, I mean, we generally speaking teach the most common uh, version of a character and the secondary version comes up naturally through context. Uh, we probably should mark that as being zhi in this case, but uh, you will get that stuff. It's all going to occur to you as you as time goes on. Uh, so as long as you get the – and you really listen to the audio, you'll be able to get all that stuff. And then she says, um, also, I think it would be helpful to have the opinion for new words on the new vocabulary unlocked lessons in case there are any tone change rules. For example, 
Mingbai. And she's right. So, like, Ming means is second tone naturally, and Bai is second tone naturally. And you'll learn those characters and the pinyin for them. Uh, you'll learn the characters and the pinyin for them naturally through the Hanzi movie method. But sometimes you'll get a word like Mingbai which is second tone, fifth tone. And so when that happens, how do you know? And she's right. We should probably make sure that we uh, put in the pinion. Here's what we'll do. We'll put in the pinion when we know that it is different from what you would expect. So like if it were Mingbai, which is the natural sort of uh, pronunciation that comes up, if you give Ming its original pronunciation and Bai its original pronunciation, then we won't add the pinion. But if there's a change like Mingbai, then uh, we will, of course, put that in. That's a good suggestion, Abigail. Eric Brown, a new vocabulary unlocked for Nujen. As much as I like the length of the third example, I feel like it has way too many top-down words. Well, like I said, Eric, we're going to work on figuring out if there are uh, missing top-down words and then realize, oh, this because we found these missing top-down words that we didn't mark, we now realize, oh, there's way too many top-down words in this sentence, and it's not in that good level of comprehensible input what we'll do is we'll just move the sentence to a later part of the course and make it a, sen a sentence associated with a different word that's in that sentence so uh that should be easy enough to do and you know of course uh that's something that we can get to right away okay final submission for today's podcast william and Meadies on make a movie for Xing. he says crazy to think it was only 105 characters ago that you took the training wheels off that's the same amount of characters that we spent with them on Time certainly has flown, and what he's referring to is that the first 105 characters, we have a video for every single little thing, and then at character 105, we say, all right, you now know how to do it. Fly, go fly. And, uh, you know, clearly he did the next 105 characters way faster than the first 105 because that's your foundation building, and then you can just smash through them. So well done, William. Well done, everybody on the course. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we love this stuff. It really gives us loads of excitement and uh, motivation every day that you're engaging so much. And what I would recommend is that you check out the community uh, in the show notes. Of course, anytime you want to join the Mandarin Blueprint community, you can do that. Uh, if you have any access to the course, there is only there are only about let's see, just right about right around two weeks left of the pronunciation mastery being free. Actually, no, it's eleven days. So it's July first at Pacific time, eleven fifty nine p.m. Just you can get all the all of the July first in there uh, for most people. Maybe some people are in Hawaii time, but uh, we're gonna go. With that is our cutoff, and then the pronunciation mastery is no longer going to be free anymore, and then we are going to move it to be part of the Mandarin Blueprint method. You still may be able to buy it individually, but it'll be way more um, sort of worth it if you get it with the Mandarin Blueprint method as a part of the subscription. And uh, please keep checking out our blog. Keep checking out the podcast. If you want to give us a review on Facebook, that's really helpful for us. So you can just go to facebook.com slash Mandarin Blueprint slash reviews to check that out. And, you know, ratings on iTunes and all that stuff. I guess people do that. So, uh, you know, you can help us out by leaving a review on the podcast. So thanks so much, everybody. We will see you very soon. And I'm Phil Crimmins. Thanks for listening.